0: Welcome to the Telling of Story podcast. I'm your host, Storyteller Jules, and along with my guests, it's my endeavour to explore the art and science of storytelling, to attract, engage and retain a business audience, and to unpack why it works for some and not for the many that try. Listen in as Angela reminds us that storytelling is a skill that must be learned and practised.
1: I think everyone is able to tell their stories. There's no one who doesn't have a story and is not able to tell their story. But there's a science and art of telling a story, which you have to learn. You can't shelve the idea of learning with getting some technical training on the science, the theory, and the art of telling the story. So I believe uh, in any business context, They need to build a a space for people who have the kind of skills and experience to tell that story, to tell their stories in a way that it resonates to the people that they want to.
0: In this episode, I have the pleasure of talking with Angela Motegi. Angela is a development communication specialist with over 15 years of experience working with various international and regional development organisations focusing on communication research and strategies for social impact. She currently runs Purple Frames, a development communication consultancy firm based in Nairobi, Kenya, and supporting organisations and communities across Africa. Angela is passionate about social and environmental justice And she is most happy when helping developed conscious organisations, communities and individuals to achieve impact and visibility for their causes through storytelling and participatory communication approaches. Angela has been successful in integrating storytelling, media and development communication techniques for social impact, focusing on a wide range of development issues such as agriculture, health, waste management, just to mention a few behaviour change, research, social mobilisation and advocacy. In addition to her professional experience, Angela has a Master of Arts degree in Development Communication and Bachelor of Arts degree in Communication, Public Relations and Electronic Media. Angela has been learning to dance salsa for the better part of her adult life, even though she cannot dance beyond the intermediate level. In her next life, Angela hopes to be a cello player even though at the moment she cannot play a musical instrument to save her life. Angela, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here.
0: I'm so glad you joined me all the way from Nairobi, Kenya. I was there back in 1996, which is a very long time ago, and I had such a good time there. It was such a beautiful place with some beautiful people. Take me all the way back to your favourite childhood experience.
1: Okay, thank you so much. Thank you for that uh, question. My favorite uh, childhood experience is uh, when I was young, we used to go to, during the holidays, we would go to our grandmother's place, which was a bit different from where we used to live. And other, my cousins would come and all of us would be there. And our grandmothers, uh, since my grandfather had like three wives, would tell us stories. So each of our grandmothers would tell us stories, and it was really nice. would stay up to the night hearing various stories. And I just loved the aspect of stories, the imagination that it elicited as a child. I really loved that. So I would say that is my best childhood memory because it's uh, about having other people bonding with my cousins, and mostly that will not happen uh, until we... We go there for the holidays
0: and, and, and stuff like that. So, tell me, how did storytelling, you know, as a child, has that helped form or develop you as a professional now as you've gotten a little bit older?
1: Yeah, uh, to a greater extent, that has helped me because what I've learned is over the years in my profession, people want to to relate with a story other than read or uh, read maybe a report, a technical report or something. So, they, they want To break it down to how that is affecting a human being, how that is your core and how that has uh, affected you. I I don't know how to explain this, but uh, I've seen that uh, when you ask people about what they feel, about what they know, is much more powerful than just uh, having statistics presented, you know, because even within statistics, People ha- there's a unique story within uh, statistics, so I believe people are not just lumped in. the statistic, when you go deeper, you find unique stories that could not be covered by the, the statistics, and that's what I try to to uncover and tell, and uh, have the people tell their stories. So, for instance, I do photo voice. I like participatory communication, so. Things like photo voice, where you give people opportunities to share their stories through pictures instead of maybe asking them to tell you maybe a research question. So instead of having the research questions where you you just ask them, uh, what do you think about this? You give them cameras and tell them, so take a picture about what you think about this. So when the pictures come, you realize that uh, you have much more than what you could have gotten you just asked a question for instance
0: so can you give me an example of you know what kind of picture somebody would take and then share with you and then how do you turn that into a story like how do you bring that to life
1: okay so for some time back I had a project where we were asking children to take uh, photos about uh, fathers in general so and this had come from another researcher done about fathers and and uh, exclusive breastfeeding so in this project i wanted to find what uh, children think about uh, fatherhood so we trained the children we introduced the aspect of fatherhood and also taught them about photography and asked them to take photographs about uh, what do fathers generally do and uh, what is a like the best experience of you and a father so when the pictures came i think it showed more, more children took hypothetical pictures about their fathers so it means that uh, like they had not had an experience about living with a the father themselves so and this would not have come out if you asked them what do you think fathers do so they then maybe they would not have told you that they don't actually live with a father and so and also some of the photos that came out had like fathers as disciplinarian or as a provider, a distant provider. And also when the photos came and they were uh, uh, captioning, it showed that they had, some of the children could not express themselves in written English. And so from this experience we had to now uh, have like a reading sessions with them just to to meet that gap that we, we had found. And I feel that this would not have really have come out if we had not gone the extra way of having the children tell the stories and it was fun for them to learn how to take the pictures and interact with their family members and uh, help them organize uh, exhibitions where they shared their stories with other people and with their family members
0: so take me through that process a little bit where they've taken the photos and they've expressed themselves in a unique way, which I love. What did you then do with those photos? And you you just mentioned then that you know there was an exhibition. How were they presented? What sort of storyline or how was the stories told at those exhibitions?
1: Okay, so we helped the children conduct an exhibition for them to tell their stories to their families. We invited their parents, their fathers, the community members and other stakeholders that would want to see what the children had done. So we organized a meeting and had the children that had taken the photos to tell them about their experience, what they learned in the process. So there was actually a panel session where the children now were were telling their stories about uh, the process they had gone through and why they had taken such uh, pictures. And uh, at the end of the day, like they were able to have other activities with their, their parents, like take uh, portraits. Some of them, this was the first time they were having a picture taken with their, like with their dads or with their family members. So it was really good. And it, the children were happy to be had because sometimes we normally just ask the children to, we don't really hear them. We just ask them what we want and then we, 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 ask, we package for them what we think they want but in this process we gave them the opportunity to express themselves so it's not reported from an adult about the experience just from the child's perspective
0: so were the children did the children spend time sort of scripting the responses on the photos or was it just all from the heart you know as they were talking about it just the picture itself drew out the emotion and they were able to express themselves for each of the photos
1: so during the apart from the exhibition, during the process of taking the pictures, the captioning, so they had to caption the story, the the photograph they had taken to give it context of why they had taken the the picture. So when they captioned, they had to write somewhere and also share in the whole like a panel session with the other children why they had taken that story. So it gave them Also more time to express themselves, to tell their stories. And even during the the exhibition, they had the opportunity to now share what they learned from the process, what was challenging, what they feel should be done going forward.
0: uh, Are you able to give me some context as to the types of children that were involved in this particular project? Were they just a a school cohort or...? Were they impoverished children where did these children come from
1: So these uh, were children from 10 to 15 years old yeah that were going to uh, a club a football club informal in settlements but yeah informal settlements where uh, children from around the area would go to play football and, and such after after school and in, on Saturdays weekends, so this was good because it kept the youth engaged. They are not uh, engaged in other, you know, bad things, and they are learning and uh, interacting. So this, I partnered with this football sports club to have the children that were coming to that club, and mostly were male children, apart from one or two that were female.
0: And were they just from a mixed audience or just from the local area? Like there, there weren't any... Particular demographic; they were just local children in the in the district.
1: Yes, they were just from the same demographics. Actually, so my plan had be has been to expand the the scope of that research to people of different uh, demographics. Maybe in a rural area, because this was in an urban setting. Children in an urban setting, or maybe children that goes to uh, private schools, because in 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 that uh, demographics were mostly children that were attending public schools in Kenya, in Nairobi, actually.
0: And what did the children teach you about storytelling?
1: Actually, I had a lot of assumptions, I guess. And uh, I also feel like I was not prepared to deal with all that came. So I guess if I was to do another, I would have like even other collaborating with other people like uh, counsellors that would uh, be able to help children who are facing some vulnerability around maybe a certain uh, sensitive topic, such as fatherhood. It's also taught me to not assume anything. Just in that moment, just leave my biases for a moment and yeah. just be there with them and just feel with them. And I think that uh, the greatest thing was to learn how to listen. I think you can you cannot tell... A people's story. If you don't know how to listen and listen effectively, so I learned that, uh, yeah, not to listen, not to to shelve my biases and to have other collaboration with other people, so that uh, it's not just about taking from the children. You know, you're not you're not going to to just take their stories and run with it, and you know, but you want to you know dignify cover. You know, it's it's not just about now, this is what they say then, and this is what uh, we are putting there. Actually, for a long time, I was not able to share the photographs that uh, were taken from the children because I felt like they were too, too intimate to be shared with the, the bigger public.
0: <laughs> were the children a lot more... Vulnerable. What assumptions did you make? Were they a lot more vulnerable? Did they show you more intimacy than you expected, and were a little bit more forthright in in their responses?
1: They were more vulnerable about uh, the topic of fatherhood because majority of the children were not living with their fathers, so the concept was not very. Other than having an hypothetical idea of what a father does, it was not an lived experience for most children so even introducing the the topic was a bit uh, hard i remember during the last time when we were the last day when we were now captioning just before the exhibition the children were actually some were crying so we had to i had male facilitators that uh, that helped with these children to cancel them to give them a, a father's hug the ones that are not going to had not received, and most of them had not. So it was quite, uh, I guess, emotionally overwhelming. That's what I would say. But it was a a beautiful experience to see that, and that's why I say probably I would have prepared better to have many other support system that uh, children need. I think I didn't expect to to find the kind of emotions and also the pictures that came with it, yeah.
0: And what has been the impact of that exhibition? Like what has happened since then?
1: Okay, so this was like a self-funded project. So what I, we did uh, for a few times was to have reading sessions with the children because uh, one of the major outcomes was that uh, children, you know, like 10 to 14 years were not able to read properly so we had a number of uh, sessions during the weekends with them to read some stories just random stories maybe from the bible others not from the bible and this uh, really gave the children confidence to express themselves actually and so we did this for a period of one or two months and then i guess it was not sustainable to say because of course the, the funding aspect, the, the money aspect, yeah.
0: Changing tact a little bit, can you tell me a little bit about Purple Frames? What is it you do as an organisation?
1: So Purple Frames is a consultancy firm. Owned by you? Yes, I'm the founder.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, sometimes I work with associates, consultants. We have worked for clients. So basically what we do is uh, provide communication services to them. And what I've found uh, myself doing most is uh, producing stories of impact. So for instance, if a client has a project that needs to be documented uh, in in terms, in, in form of a story, maybe it's a report, but needs to be broken down into a simple story and to interview other people who are involved to sort of humanize the process and break it down. So that's what I've been doing mostly, and also producing animated videos, communication strategies and stuff like
0: that. Yeah, I, was, I see in your bio you talk about short documentaries, animated videos, comic strips even. So what? why use some of these formats and what do you get out of presenting in these particular types?
1: I think people want to have fun. So I believe that if things are presented in a very complex way, Uh, Either unless you're like like a a professional in an area and you want to learn about uh, that specific things, for most general people, they want to learn it in in a fun and interactive way. So I believe concepts like maybe medicine resistance, if you're not a doctor or in the health profession, if you present it in a fun, comical way, it's more impactful than just saying these are if you do this if you maybe drink uh, take your medicine without a prescription then you'll form resistance but if you create a a character that uh, people can identify with then i think you're able to retain more and retain more form more impressions and maybe affect behavior in the long run so that then people take medicine in a rational way that that's just one an example so i believe uh, creating characters that people identify with is more impactful than telling them this is uh, you should not do this or you know creating maybe a fear a fear messaging you can create like the fear messaging in a way that it's, it gives people there's a, a, a little bit of fear and a little bit of their efficacy to perform the thing that they are supposed to do, so that they change their behavior. So all this can be created in characters and cannot be created in reports or in fact sheets. Or yeah, that's why I believe in using entertainment to pass messages that affect people's behavior.
0: So take me through your process of you know when you're confronted with you know, highly technical information, as you described. How do you start to break that down and form these characters? Where do you start? What kind of questions would you ask? What kind of stories are you trying to draw out of the people that hold hold the information?
1: Okay. For me, my experience has been I I have to talk to a professional first. They're ones that uh, understand this subject better. And they explain to me... and. For me, I have to understand it uh, properly. Then, when I understand it, then I'm able to to communicate it, to create characters, to to write scripts around that, and uh, have uh, the process of also scripting. The professional is involved because you, as much as you want to create these stories through characters, you have to keep the message, uh, the scientific message uh, intact, and that's why you need the professional. So for me, I, I believe it's a collaborative process. You still also need to find out from the demographics that will be consuming the message so that they're they able to accept a character or not. So you can create a character for a certain uh, a people and they reject it. They can reject their representation of, of themselves in that character, yeah.
0: So obviously it's important to understand both the subject matter but also the audience that you're trying to communicate with, right? Yeah. yeah. What advice would you give to somebody who possibly is very technical and they're generally maybe... Overly technical in their explanation, when they're telling their stories they they tend to stick with facts and statistics and et cetera that might be boring their audience or might be turning their audience off. What advice would you give to somebody like that? You know when we talk about storytelling, people sort of misinterpret storytelling with you know fairy tales and childhood stories and things like that. But what's the difference between those kind of stories and what we're talking about here, which is you know business oriented stories?
1: okay so for myself because i've worked in a have been the non-technical person in a context where most people are technical like maybe animal health experts or the health experts what i normally tell them that if i i myself if they explain to me and i don't understand probably no one else will understand so to break it down in a way that an untechnical person can understand what they are saying, yeah. So, in most cases, I've been there to maybe be a sounding board of some sorts, whether this will be understood by people who are not technical in a certain area.
0: And is that about you know simplifying the messaging? Keep simplifying, keep simplifying until you get to a point where okay, now I understand the story. Is that part of your process?
1: Yes, simplifying. Imagine you're telling your eight year old or maybe your grandmother about this. So just simplify it. Actually, I guess the more complex it is, the more you are likely to lose the message. Probably if you understand it better, you are able to simplify it. That's what I think. If you understand a concept better, then you're able to, to tell it in a way that is simple, that is impactful, that reduce the vagueness, the jargons and stuff like that, yeah.
0: And how has your sort of childhood upbringing or culture, has that affected the way storytelling is told amongst your community or is it totally separate? Do you see it as two separate things, the way cultures tend to talk with their families versus how business talks with theirs? Do you see it separate or or one and the same?
1: Well, I think uh, there's a a bit of similarities and uh, some differences. I guess, Similarities in the fact that uh, either way you need to communicate to get feedback, but all that aspect of communication and uh, the process of getting feedback. But I understand there's there's a language in the maybe in the corporate culture which is uh, a bit formal than maybe if I was talking to my family members, so to speak so i guess every context dictates a way of uh, doing it so to speak yeah so there's an expectation for every context but the principles are the same so simplifying the message sharing what you need to what you you want people to do i guess they yeah. are sharing what want people to do and following up uh, through, especially in the, in the work context. In the family context, in the cultural context, it's a bit laid, uh, laid back. But I, what, what I can say is, like, uh, in my community, I come from a place called Chuka, which is uh, in Meru. There's these uh, dramas, they, they are called Chuka dramas, and they they are normally invited for family functions, and they entertain people. But they are also used to pass uh, health messages in certain contexts. So this, even during campaigns, maybe political campaigns, but also if you're doing a campaign, a health-related campaign, they are able to break down the messages through the drums and through the dance. And it's, it's quite impactful for that uh, specific niche of people. Yeah.
0: What a fabulous way to get a message across with, with drummers.
1: Yeah, actually, you should uh, check them out, uh, Chuka Drummers. They they are really amazing.
0: Chuka Drummers.
1: Chuka, yeah, Chuka,
0: yes. I'll get that into the show notes for everybody to have a look at. Is there a reluctance or a joy when you come in and say, we need to tell a better story, we need to tell a simpler story? How does your audience take it when you start going down that path? Are they excited about Breaking down their story, or are they very reluctant and sort of very, you know, want to stick with the technical facts?
1: Okay, so this is in two ways, maybe uh, in terms of organisations, or maybe in a participatory project like the purple, the the Photo Voice. Which one do you mean? Oh,
0: either. It, it, share with me both.
1: Okay, so in the participatory pro, um, process, like the Photo Voice, I think. How you also enter or how you introduce a subject is very important. So my experience with the fat, uh, with the fatherhood project was uh, like the first day because this was a two weeks uh, exercise. The first day it was so hard to to even communicate. So we we actually had to share that concept all together and just interact and have fun and connect. So I think connection is really really important. So once we had that uh, connection, then we were able to to even have a discussion about photography and uh, and fatherhood. And uh, then we gave them cameras, so they still had we uh, still had that uh, interactions. And when they came with the photographs, we still had that interactions. But I guess what we had not anticipated was the rawness of them now explaining why. took the photos so that was a bit so what what, what can i say it's you have to connect you have to connect and you have to to be open to learning really be open to learning so but in the if i'm working with a client sometimes the clients uh, mostly have what they want what, what they want to do so there's, I add, I offer my advice, but sometimes it's um, there's a little wiggle room because maybe there's uh, expectations from the project funders and various uh, expectations from different people that come to play in maybe the, the process and the product that they, they want. So, yeah, that's what I would say.
0: So what advice would you give to somebody listening perhaps that, hasn't really yet started down that storytelling journey. They may be a little bit fixed in their ways and thinking about their technical expertise, but they understand that it is an important way to communicate. What advice would you give to somebody who's maybe a little bit new at this and what sort of platforms, where would you start? What kind of format would work for somebody who's maybe new on this journey?
1: I think everyone is able to tell their stories, everyone. There's no one who... who doesn't have a story and is not able to tell their story. But there is, uh, there is science and art of telling a story, which you have to learn. You can't shelve the idea of learning, maybe getting some technical training on the science, the theory, and the art of telling the story. So I believe uh, in a- any business context, they need to build a, a space for people who have the kind of skills and experience to tell that story, to tell their stories in a way that it resonates to the people that they want to. Otherwise, I guess you'll be shouting in the dark, I guess, if you're not telling your story or if you don't have uh blinking in the dark, <laughs> expecting someone else to see it, yeah. but you're winking. Yeah. And I think when I started out, uh, most organizations did not value the the space of someone who is a storyteller or a communication person. But I've seen over the years, most organizations have have appreciated the role that uh, storytelling tells in their business, in uh, reaching out to their stakeholders and publics and all that. So I believe it's, also, the, the storytellers need to build, what, to make a case for themselves, I think, to say this is what mm-hmm. I offer and uh, this is how it changes uh, the way you do business. I, I also believe in that aspect of sort of internal advocacy from the storytellers themselves to communicate so that people understand and uh, see the value for their services that they offer.
0: Do you have a view on, you know, what mediums somebody might start with or, you know, is it social media, is it presentations, is it video? What sort of mediums do you think kind of work the best for, for corporate the corporate world and and what sort of consistency would you advise that somebody talks about, you know, when they are telling their story?
1: So I've learned, uh, because I've mostly worked with the development organisations, so the the NGOs, I've learned that uh, the mediums vary from the audience or the stakeholders they reach. So for instance, uh, if you're working with uh, the CBOs, for instance, the mediums are different, like even uh, using community radios and uh, using uh, groups like the way I say Chuka dramas to tell their story. But if you're working with uh, maybe an international organization, so also the mediums the medium change the way you write or tell the stories a bit different because you have to tailor your messages according to the people who are consuming the messages even the the channel you use or the medium you use changes or varies depending on who you are and what uh, audience you you're reaching out so i believe every organization needs to to have like a strategy or a communication plan that uh, gives them the 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 mediums that work for them for their specific work, and I've I've also realized that uh, so for instance, even with the international organisations, the channels or the medium change uh, depending on even the program that you're you're implementing. So it's not there's the the storytelling for the organisational storytelling, but then there's also the storytelling for a program for impact. So, if you if for instance I was the, a brand storyteller, for instance, then my medium would be different from if I'm storytelling for social impact. So, because the focus is different, the measurement of success is different for these audiences, so to speak. Here, yeah. so I believe starting with the plan and the strategy and knowing who you are and what medium work for you is important. But of course, you can't downplay the the aspect of social media because, I mean, everything since the COVID-19 happened, a big part of our interactions has gone online. So you can't really not consider how you appear on on, on the social media space. And it's not just posting for posting sake. You need to you know, tell the story. So it, you you can have the analogy I give is you you may have the roads, but if you don't have the the vehicles, then you just have the roads and they are not serving any purpose. So uh, just focusing on the roads and the and the vehicles and and the passengers and all that.
0: Sound advice, Angela. Thank you. As a parting gift for those that are listening particularly those people that two things. One is they don't believe they have a story to tell, which I think is incorrect, but you, I would love to hear your advice. But they don't think they have a story to tell, but also there's a little bit of fear in telling their story. I, I come across, you know, particularly, you know, business owners and, and founders and people like that. They, have, they often, if you just dig a little bit deeper, they have a fantastic story You know, just underneath the surface of where they've come from, what they've done, what they what they're trying to do, but they've they're quite afraid to get their voice out there. They're they're a bit scared of perhaps you know judgment. I think is part of it, Um, but they also believe that you know the story. Nobody wants to hear their story. What advice would you give to somebody who's in that position that that knows it's wrong but but can't get over themselves in in that regard?
1: Yeah. Well, I would first tell them that they're in good company (laughs) because uh, I guess all of us or a big part of us feel their apprehension about telling their story. And I think a a major part is because of the fear of rejection, so to speak. But uh, I guess someone has to do it afraid. Uh, You learn that uh, people are more accommodating, are more human. Uh don't fear the the backlash in your head that you, you think you will receive or the pushback from telling your story. As long as you're authentic, I believe you, you, you need to, to tell it no matter what formats you tell. Don't worry about how you appear. And there are people who can help you, maybe, you know, edit in a way that uh, helps you come out the way you want to come up. So own your story and share on your story so know what your story is and own it and uh, get help from people who are able to help you tell the story better I think so they shouldn't be afraid they should go for it <laughs> yeah.
0: I absolutely agree Angela thank you so much I've really enjoyed our chat today where can people find out a little bit more about you and some of your causes
1: Okay, so I have a website called purpleframes.org and I'm on social media. So for the company Purple Frames on Twitter, LinkedIn and uh, Facebook and and, uh, myself on Angela Muteki on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn.
0: Angela, thank you so much for being part of the show. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate that, yeah.
0: I love the work that Angela did with Children and the Fatherhood Project, combining photography and storytelling in order to help them express their needs. It was also interesting how this approach highlighted the assumptions and biases she went in with and how the listening first was a better approach. I also applaud Angela's approach that learning and communication is better when people are having fun. Something to
1: remember. Much love. Chat soon.